All right. So, you in school? What do you think? Are you a grown up? You a child? Where are you in life? I feel like that's where a lot of these films I just saw here, that's where they kind of draw the line, you know, in terms of where you are in life, but your social standing, your economic standing, your uh, cultural awareness, all those kinds of things. These films kind of go at it in different ways, but they're kind of tackling the same basic concept, you know. Those moments in our life when we are kind of crossing paths with other people from different different backgrounds, different um, classes, let's say, you know, it, it's it's a weird time in life. And these films, they all tackle this kind of thing. And, you know, you have to look at it through your own lens, right? So I think the 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 idea of trying to represent experiences that we can all relate to in some way or another, I think that's the the point. But also opening our eyes to some things that we might not be really aware of or conscious of and some of the depths or links that people will go to to gain or to protect their standing in certain certain situations, I guess. I'm trying to talk around it because I'm trying to find the common thread with all these films. I'm sure there are other films like these, but with the holdovers, it's a film that I think like low key relies on its style, on its aesthetic. It's shot in a very kind of traditional, I want to say that kind of classic 70s, 80s vibe, you know, just the way it looks, the way it moves, the way it unfolds. It feels like a film that was made 40, maybe 50 years ago. It just has something about it, you know? But meanwhile, it's the story of this professor and one of his students who is a little bit of a troublemaker, but a little bit of the hotshot. And then you've got a, a cafeteria worker at the school, and they all kind of get stuck over the holiday break at the school on campus because they have maybe nowhere else to go or their situations aren't working out. So. It gives us a chance to, well, it gives these characters a chance to get to know each other. And at first, they're real reluctant. I mean, the professor doesn't really want anything to do with this kid because he's kind of a kind of a dick. And yet, the cafeteria worker, I think, they both, they almost don't see her for the most part. And it's not until they're kind of around each other enough where they start to really actually see and hear and understand each other. And that's kind of a small story. It's not very uh, glamorous. And yet, I, I, I think it comes at the separation that these three people would feel because they just have different walks of life. And they have to kind of find some common ground, you know? And in that way, it's not a flashy movie. The performances are great. Paul Giamatti, I think he's really, he's dialed into this kind of character for some reason, somehow. I know the film supposedly was written with him in mind, but I think even if it weren't written with him in mind, this is the kind of character he he plays. I mean, even, even something like Billions, where he's in a whole different world and setting, 
dealing with all kinds of other types of people, but there's just an air about him that, uh, you know, maybe younger Paul Giamatti maybe didn't really have or didn't lock into, but here in his, I guess, older years, I feel like he's found a good lane. It's a good lane because it's one that you don't see him every time and think, well, this is that guy again. He is these characters, which is pretty cool. And so the the whole film revolves around him. And because it's so kind of sparse, like it's, it's, it's a fairly basic approach to telling the story. It is just letting these actors work, you know, letting them just eat up the screen. And they do a really good job. I, I mean, I like this film. It feels like a holiday Christmas type of film because it's set during that time. But the stuff that it's talking about, not necessarily. So does this fall in the diehard class of Christmas films? I guess, you know, it's set during that time. doesn't really have anything to do with the holiday itself. It's more about these three people. I mean, it kind of reminds me because there is a little bit of like a road trip element also. And it kind of reminds me of some other films like, um, I don't know, like The Last Detail, even. Where it's, it's three characters that kind of have to get to know each other. And they're, they've got some things they have to do in their time together. And yet it doesn't really pull any punches. You know, it shows us the real them, warts and all. And shows us their struggle. And so, and and yet it is funny. It's got a great sense of humor to it. So, I don't know. I, I liked watching it. Um, I'm interested to see like where it goes next because they're talking about uh, award potential and whatever. It doesn't feel like that kind of movie. Like it feels much smaller, just in terms of the the scale, the tone of it. I always think of like award-winning movies. They're the ones that are really ambitious and really have an impact culturally. And I mean, this one, I, I don't get that sense. And so I don't know about that, but uh, I do think it's a good watch, especially if at this time of year where it's cold, it's wet. Uh, it seems kind of, it can seem kind of lonesome, you know, uh, this this feels like a, a, a pretty solid watch. And I turned around and went the other direction with another film that people have been talking about a lot, Saltburn. And whoa, you know, let me tell you, if you haven't seen it yet, man, um, this is uh, also from 2023. It's uh, directed by Emerald Fennel. Fennel? Fennel. And for my money, I mean, one of the. One of the films that I've talked about here on Film Streak since I've been doing this that has really stuck with me is also directed by her, and that's Promising Young Woman. And this is very similar in the sense that it seems like it's one kind of film, and it's got a sense of humor about itself, and it it doesn't pull punches either, but by the time you get to the end, you realize, oh, damn, okay, this was entirely some other thing. And I I wonder, I put it this way, the mind that comes up with this kind of approach, I admire that. Because it's one thing to set me up to, to think, oh, this is going to be a story about uh, our main character here, Oliver. 
he's at Oxford and he's kind of, you're, you're seeing his introduction to this university life. He meets Felix, who is like the stud of the school and kind of sees his circle and tries to find his way into that, into that setting. You know, it, it's a little bit of like poor kid, rich kid thing. Oliver isn't quite put together. He's not very socially uh, graceful. And yet he sees, he sees the line and we see the line where, oh, they're the rich kids. They're the cool kids. And here over here are the, the dorks or the misfits or whatever. We see the separation between classes, between uh, like cliques and, and different groups. And we see Oliver try to make that leap, like try to find a way into Felix's camp. And it works. And at first you think, or, or the way I read it was, well, Oliver, he, he maybe doesn't know any better. He just feels like he doesn't want to be where he is. He wants to be somewhere else with those people over there. And it seems a little earnest, like he's really trying to just, I don't know, elevate himself. And so when he kind of falls in good with Felix and Felix invites him home to his estate, his family estate of Saltburn, that's where the film really opens up. It takes a, a whole turn and we get into what is actually this story. And man, I'll tell you, this is a weird film in the sense that it starts like that kind of thing, like that college life, fish out of water, you know, the, the new kid in town, all that kind of stuff. And it turns into this thing where, I mean, you get down to it, honestly, it's like a horror film where the protagonist is the killer. And he's like just hiding in plain sight, you know? It's, it, it really does kind of turn into that. In a sense, because we've got Oliver, he's meeting this family, he's learning this life. And if you're not paying attention or if you're not watching it in this way, you could just think, oh, well, he, he doesn't know how to react to this stuff. So he's just laying low. He's just taking it in, you know? But I think once you see the film and once you see where it ends up, I'm, I don't want to really go too far into it because I feel like it's a fun ride. But you could see like, oh, there's actually more probably going on there than we realized. And I'll just say this. I mean, Oliver gets to the point where he's really become like part of the family and something starts happening to different people in the family. And we start to see like there's something else going on with Oliver. Now, I said a horror movie a while ago. It's not a horror movie. It does have some really shocking and disturbing elements to it. Some really bold choices happening. But um, I think it's worth the ride because it's not just about this uh, this kid. It's not just a drama or, or even a thriller in some moments. It is commenting on this separation of class and... Uh, just the 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 difference between the everyday people like you or I let's say and the upper class the upper crust you know and the life that they live and how 
it it it's it kind of misleads you in a way because you see these people like they seem somewhat normal, even though they live in this giant mansion. They watch TV like the rest of us. They talk like the rest of us, and yet they have so much wealth and power behind them. And it's almost like they don't care somehow. And Oliver is the one who is on the other end of it, who who he cares very much about it because he doesn't have that available to him. And yet he's the one that seems out of place. He seems the the odd man out in the situation a lot of the time. And it's just a real interesting, it's, it's a different equation for the same math that I think we all experience in life. And uh, I, I don't know, it, it's just something that's so unique and striking. And yet I could see where, okay, well, maybe it's a little bit gimmicky. But I feel like I haven't really seen a lot of films tackle this kind of subject this way. You know, the only other thing I think that comes close maybe is something like The Talent of Mr. Ripley. You know, that's not necessarily like uh, in a school setting or or point in life for the characters. But it is about a character who finds his way into wealth and luxury and, and that sort of lifestyle. And I mean, of course, uh, Tom Ripley takes his whole adventure like to the nth degree with uh, was it like Dickie Greenleaf and whoever that, uh, you know, all those people in that guy's circle. Like he really goes to the extreme here. We see Oliver kind of just getting that started in a sense. So I don't know. I liked it. I thought it, it, it's really one of those films that it's interestingly kind of capturing the moment too. Like you've got Jacob Elordi who's off of, um, uh, Euphoria and the the Priscilla movie and and I feel like is is kind of having a moment you know, which is good. I mean it's it's cool to see like a new fresh face kind of really taking the spotlight. But no joke, Barry Kilgan Kilgan Keegan, we'll get it. He's the real dude having a moment right now. I mean, not only just a few years ago in Dunkirk, like really kind of. I think being the first time a lot of people probably saw him, but then just last year or the year before uh, the Banshees of Inishirin, um, even in the Batman playing quote unquote, the Joker, you know, even though it's not really official and here in this really taking the spotlight and really look big swings. I'm telling you no pun. Okay. If you know, you know, but I'm just saying, and and now this new uh, uh, this World War II series um, was it the Masters of the Air something like that. So, dude's having a real minute, and I got to say, look, I even saw him. I, I talked about it in the early episode of Film Street, um, American Animals. You know, he's one of that crew that pulls that art heist, and if I remember right, I think he's the one that kind of sets things off like that he's the one that kicks the story off in a different direction and so i i feel like man this is really cool because i look i i think i've seen him say it in interviews or in videos him say it himself it was like he's kind of the odd looking guy but he's got like a real presence and the fact that he can just go for it 
in a role like this in this character that's that's a pretty interesting mix you know so then after that i saw the riot club which i, I look honestly i just i saw saltburn and i said wait a minute we kind of skipped the oxford segment you know that that whole part of the story doesn't last very long so i said but there's got to be some other films that do give us that side of the story. So I found this, The Riot Club from 2014, and this is that. This is essentially this group of young men, a very small elite group of students who uh, formed this riot club in, I don't know, it shows at the beginning of the film, supposedly like something happened in like the 1700s or some shit. And it's set pretty quickly, like at the very beginning of the film. It's like, this is a group of, um, what do we want to call them? They're not necessarily all like um, uh, like grade A students, okay? They are just rakes and cads, let's say. Scoundrels. Maybe that's more the term. And yet, it's not like, oh, they're just having a goofy, mischievous time, it's like they're also kind of dicks too. And so quite punchable, you know what I'm saying? And so we've got two characters, Miles and Alistair, and they are the ones that are new, that we follow them through the story. They're trying to get in with this group, really understand this culture. It's very kind of fratty, you know? And yet it's not a frat. It's not officially an organization or whatever like that. There is that kind of process, though, to being a part of it. And so we see Miles and Alistair. One is kind of reluctant. It's like, I don't really get this. And and Alistair is the other side of it where he's like, I think this is our right to have this. And I tell you, it's interesting to watch these two characters go through this. And the film... It takes little baby steps to get there. It, it moves very slowly until we get to this dinner where all these guys go out to this dinner at this restaurant and they kind of take over the restaurant and it all gets out of hand. They have their own. I mean, it does become it's this prolonged sequence where we see them go through these phases of being being just having a good time. Then they started getting drunk. Then they started throwing food. Then they started destroying the place. And it's like, oh, okay, now things have gotten out of hand. And then when the owner comes in, it's like, hey, man, you got to leave. You got to bounce because you're running all my other customers off. <laughs> and they just start to wail on this dude. Now we see where all of this kind of privilege and power, let's say, it all gets out of hand and it all goes off the rails. And by the end of it, you know, we have Alistair who is like, I am allowed to be here. I'm entitled to be a part of this, to live this way. And Miles is the one that kind of catches the rap for the whole thing. And we, you know, the, the film kind of tries to resolve itself, although it doesn't really, because I think it comes down on like nothing. None of this is really going to change. These people are still going to be this way. The, the, the structure of the class and the, all this, it's, it's still going to go on. So it's an interesting look at how that kind of, I guess, social structure works. But um, I don't know if it really had as much of an arc as I as I hoped it would, you know. But I guess if this is a thing that 
supposedly has been around for hundreds of years now. What is one dinner that gets, you know, out of hand? What, what is that going to do? So uh, it was interesting. It, it felt, honestly, it felt a little more like a stage play in a sense. Like it has the early scenes where we're getting to know the characters and the school and the group. And then when we get to the dinner, it does feel like one of those things where like that is primarily a stage play almost like it, we're, we're stuck in this one room for a good part of the film. And we're watching these characters go through these different, this kind of almost 12 angry men situation, you know, where we're just seeing them all bounce off of each other and go through these waves of up and down and side to side. And, and then it eventually ends up in this big moment. So I, I don't know. I think it, it maybe isn't quite as ambitious as it would seem. It's certainly not doing stuff on the level of Saltburn, but it is kind of a different film. I mean, it, it's, it's taking a look at this whole thing in a different way. And so look, okay. Then I said, well, I, what's another film that kind of goes at this subject matter of school and school life and class differences and, and wealth and, and privilege and the struggle between all those things, you know? And honestly, I had to go way back to find one that I either hadn't seen or I wanted to see. I went all the way back to 1988 with School Days. Spike Lee. I mean, it's an early Spike Lee. I think it was the second film, right? After She's Gotta Have It, which I watched on a previous episode. And for me, my only understanding of School Days was that it was about college life. And it was before Do the Right Thing. And that's really all I knew about it. One, because when it came out in 1988, I, I don't think I was really up on Spike Lee, like even as a filmmaker, as a presence. Honestly, I mean, I think for most people, I think Do the Right Thing is where you learned about who Spike Lee is for the general public, let's say. And yet watching this film now, I got to say, it's like, wait a minute. Okay, there was a whole game going on that a lot of us don't know about. And I don't know if it's a thing where it's necessarily like black culture knew about Spike Lee or maybe the in indie film culture more specifically knew about Spike Lee off of something like this or, or she's got to have it. But this one definitely, um, man, it was like a flashback really. Not that like this was a life I was a part of or anything, but just that era, that time. 1988, I mean, I would have been, uh, I would have been not even 15 yet, you know? But I was, it's like watching things happen in this film and watching like some of the styles or, or some of the music that's playing. I'm like, oh, I remember kind of looking up to that. Like I, I'm maybe five to 10 years behind the people, the characters in this film at that moment. And so I just thought about it. It's like, I, this feels so familiar in terms of that moment in time, but this whole setting, all of the dynamics that are happening, that's obviously not a life I live, but I feel like it's close enough. Like I, it drew me in. I was like, 
this was happening when I, at the same time I was going through this or I remember that, whoa, I got to see what's, what this is about. And, you know, it's early Spike Lee, so I think there are plenty of signs that this is still a young filmmaker, someone really trying to find his lane, find his voice. And while a lot of it is dialed into who Spike Lee is as a filmmaker, I think there are some swings here that really go for it and land. And there are some other moments where I feel like, okay, well, you're still working with people who are maybe not experienced professionals. Some of them are, but maybe not all of them, you know? I mean, the two main characters, for the most part, are Lawrence Fishburne and Giancarlo Esposito. And those are two people that have had careers in, in acting and film. And so they're, those dudes, no slouches, right? They bring it. You've got other people that show up that are either familiar faces from like TV of the time, or they are working in film but on a smaller scale. And I feel like this was one of those films that like really blew a lot of people up. You know, there's a lot of people you see here that in 1988, maybe they were like, you know, at a certain level after 1988, after this film, they really just, you know, took off. And so, you know, uh, that's not to necessarily say like, um, they didn't do good work, but it's just like, you can see like, it's, I don't know if it's a performance thing. I don't know if it's a, a filmmaking or even an editing thing, but it's like, there are some odd like choices with like delivery and, and that kind of thing. I just chalk it up to being, this is a young filmmaker. This is a young cast and they're really going for it. So they're focused on the big stuff, not so much the small stuff. I can see that. I see that happen. But overall, I mean, the overall effect is like, this is a man, this is a much different kind of film than I thought it was all these years. I really thought it was one of these just like college dramas and I should know better. Spike Lee, that's not, he doesn't make films like that. He makes films that have a definite style. They have a definite like message, like it's commenting on things. And this one is probably other than like do the right thing or, well, I mean, a lot of his films, are very pointed, like uh, they're like a thesis on a specific topic or moment in time. And this one is too. I mean, even look, even his most successful film in terms of box office, Inside Man, that doesn't look like a, a, a heist film or whatever that, a crime thriller that, anybody else would make only he would make that film the way it is because it's not just about a guy robbing a bank. It's not just about getting away with the crime. It's about the bigger powers at play. And some of them are not so pleasant. And some of them are based on race or class and power. And it's like, who puts that in a heist film? And that's, that's what you get with Spike Lee. And so here I really thought, okay, damn, I, I misjudged this thing before even really getting to know anything about it. And I think the interesting thing here is that 
he really does come at this this difference in class and in uh, just economic uh, backgrounds. He really does go hard on all of these types of groups and and social structures, whether it's the fraternities, the kind of like uh, the the rivalry there, the 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 conflict between them, whether it's different groups of people, or whether it's men and women, whether it's students and adults out in the world. I mean, there's that scene with Samuel Jackson and his crew at like the KFC, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it's like, oh man, what? you know, first of all, it's like he really goes there where he's like, I'm going to have my characters go to a place and just eat fried chicken and, and have a good time. And it's like, man, are you, are you like playing into this stereotype, into this trope or whatever? But then we see like Samuel Jackson and his boys, they're there and they start, there's like a little beef that happens between him and, and Lawrence Fishburne and his crew. And you, you're like, oh man, what, Spike, what are you doing? But he takes it to a place where it's like, okay, you're letting these characters have a moment to establish some context, to, to, to comment on the difference between kids that are in school and I say kids, but you know, college age, young people and the, whether they realize it or not, the privilege that they have just inherently by being able to go to college versus the man that's out here struggling and maybe having to do things that he's not happy about whether it's working a hard ass job or doing some criminal shit, that kind of struggle is way different than your struggle. Even though your struggle isn't even as hard or as uh, dangerous of a struggle as someone who is in a frat and who is really putting themselves in possibly some really bad light, you know, and, and the film even goes there too. When we see what frats do, and their their whole you know ritualization of you know the the hazing and how it can be degrading, how it can be humiliating, how it can be toxic, all those things. That whole lifestyle, it's I, and I say dangerous, meaning like it can turn into bad things for those young people when they get later in life because they think the world works that way, and they come out of school thinking. I got power, I got clout, I call shots, but you really don't. You're not out there. And so uh, just showing that th- those different ways of life all meeting at different points, I'm like, that's a lot to take on. I had no idea this was a film like that. And I think, honestly, I think there's a little bit of a... um I guess it's kind of unfortunate that it landed at a time where films and TV were doing this kind of thing, whether it was like on TV, you had that show, uh, a different world where it was about, uh, who was the the girl from the Cosby show? I can't remember her name now. Uh, Lisa Bonet. I can't remember the character's name, but she goes to college. And so we follow her and she meets all these new people, other students. 
and the teachers and, and all that. And it's a whole different life. It's called, it's a different world, you know? And so we're seeing it. And, and that show was able to tackle some bigger themes like that about, you know, race and social status and class and all those things. But it was also a comedy. So it kind of just touched on things. It didn't really go deep, you know? And then you had other films that I feel like were doing something in this vein, but they were also kind of lighthearted. You know, they were more like silly comedies. But here you have one that is got kind of, it's kind of got all of the above. And, and look, oh, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that really surprised me that I was like not prepared for at all. There's so much music in this film. And I don't just mean like the soundtrack. I mean, there's like, there are musical numbers in this film. What? Spike, I didn't know you was doing that. Like that sense of like, uh, uh, like showmanship and even just the craft, like the filmmaking of it to capture these things, these moments where some of them are like concert type situations. Some of them are like, uh, like there's the, the whole thing where you see the stepping going on with the frats. And it's funny, like one of their chants is ice, ice, baby, you know? <laughs> and honestly, I got to feel like it either came from this film or this culture way before Vanilla Ice, right? Obviously, obviously. I mean, it even reminds me, there's, there's the moment. I've heard about it before. I'd never seen the film, so I didn't see the how, in the context, but... The moment when one of the characters says, my name is Paul, and that's between y'all. And that is Spike Lee famously recounting like, yo, Quentin, you stole that from me and put it in Pulp Fiction. And, oh, okay, fine. It was in this film first, of course, because Pulp Fiction came several years later. But my name is Paul, and that's between y'all. Uh, that must have existed somewhere before this film, right? Spike, come on. I'm just saying. Everything kind of comes from something else, one way or another. Still, it was, that was the level of craft in all of these musical numbers, the, the type of dedication to making some of these things happen. One of them is just, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of a concert setting, but it's mostly, it's just, full of people dancing and it's it's strange because it doesn't really have a huge like it, it doesn't affect the narrative much i mean it's a scene where you see characters meeting or, or crossing paths but it's purely for the style purely for the show of it in a way but it's it's a it's a joyous moment you know i guess that's the thing it doesn't really hold any significance in the plot, but it is about showing these people, you know, look here, this is the bigger thing with this film. I think this is why it resonated. I mean, I can only assume now, but there's a heightened sense of certain things in this film that I feel like at first, like if you're not conscious of it, you could say, Oh, well, this is heightened for dramatic effect or heightened for, um, 
the audience, right? Just to to play on a big screen, the way some of the characters talk, the way some of them act, and you feel like, but people like this wouldn't say this. And that is where you're wrong. But I think that is where Spike Lee knows, yeah, you're going to assume some things. You're going to come in with your, honestly, you're going to come in with your prejudice. You're going to say, these college kids wouldn't talk like this. They wouldn't do these things. They wouldn't act this way. And that's where Spike goes to the links to show you, like, okay, but they might. These other people might act differently. And these other people over here might even act different than them. There's all kinds of different people involved in these in this university life, let's say. And I think that's the that's really the master stroke of this film. If there is one, it's like it it's exploring these stereotypes and these tropes about certain types of people and certain types of characters, let's say. And it's breaking them or transcending them or showing you like, well, well, you might think like a young black student at a HBC, he's not going to carry himself that way. He's not going to dress that way. He's not going to talk that way. But there are people like that. And if you didn't know that, that's on you. And meanwhile, you have other people in the movie that, oh, well, they probably fit more the traditional role. But hey, man, there's layers to them, too. There's things going on with them that you didn't know about either. And I I think that's really the interesting side of it. You know, there's a couple of films that I think kind of did a similar thing later and years later. There was that film. um, It wasn't one John Singleton did. Was it Higher Learning, I think? And that one was a little bit different because it, it kind of zoomed out some. You know, it didn't just keep us in the sphere of young black students i mean it took us a a little bit further out into different races different cultures and how those things cross paths and how it can get bad it can get dicey right but here this one was really um focused in dialed in on this specific culture and the different sides of it and so I can see, I can see where it has value, where it has meaning. And I think, of course, looking at it now, it's very clear, like, okay, maybe he hadn't quite figured out his very specific tone or, or style yet, but you could see, oh, Spike, you got big plans, huh? I mean, the, the scale of this I really thought after seeing She's Gotta Have It, I thought, okay, well, this is going to be another film that's like just a step up from that. Oh, it's in color now, <laughs> you know? He's an independent filmmaker. I, I'm not saying like he can't make a good film. He doesn't have resources, but I'm just saying like as an independent filmmaker, you don't have a lot to work with anyway. It doesn't matter who you are or how long you've been in the game. But to see like the level of, I mean, just the cast, like as many people that are on screen in some of these especially in the musical numbers like whoa spike okay you were doing it and so it's impressive and you know unfortunately i guess it's i've seen it so late i'm so late to the party but i enjoyed it i really i really got a lot out of it and it's not to say it doesn't i don't know if it really ages so well if you don't 
if you don't recognize that point in time, if you weren't even like aware of that, you're going to be like, well, this just looks corny or this looks so uh, outdated. But if you were around then, there's enough in there. Like not even like me, like I wasn't even in this lifestyle, in this part of the world, in this specific culture. But I was enough there where I recognized like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that time. I remember that song when that song came out. Or I remember when people used to wear that kind of shirt or whatever, you know? So I don't know. I was pleased with it. I really liked it. So anyway, I mean, these films, they've been strangely kind of eye-opening. Because like I said, you know, this wasn't my experience going through college. Going through those years of my life, you know, late high school. From like, I don't know, 17 to like 21. I don't remember anything like this. And yet, I can still kind of identify, right? I mean, I think that's the idea with these films. If you've been in any kind of school situation, you've had to deal with different types of people and you know, f- from different walks of life, different backgrounds, you've had to deal with some of this. Now, maybe you don't go like Oliver and go start, you know, scheming on people. But... Uh, you, you still recognize certain things, certain, look, certain desires you might even have about why can't I live like that? Or why can't I have that in my life? Whatever it is, you recognize those things. So that's it. That's all I've got for this week. Um, if you want to find out uh, these, where to watch these films, um, I do keep that list on filmstreak.com where you can go to IMDb and, Check out every film I've talked about here. We're getting up to, man, we're closing in on 400 now. So, man, I can't believe it. Already 400. It doesn't seem like a lot in the big picture, but when I when you kind of look back, I look back at all the titles that I've talked about, I was like, oh, man, this is a lot. I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to have to struggle to remember a little bit. <laughs> that's why i recorded everything that's why i got episodes so all right here we go i'm gonna go get out in this rain and try and uh try and stay safe stay dry so talk to you later go watch something new